Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to be looking at chapter 8 and 9. Title of our study is Remember and Obey. We're now going to move a little bit faster through the book of Deuteronomy together. And uh, we'll cover these two chapters this morning, Lord willing. And we'll take a look at the Israelites' unbelief, uh, really those who did not trust God to fulfill his promises. Um, And we'll see that when times of testing came, uh, they were really stubborn and opposed God. Um, They did not want to heed God's voice and his word. And then Israel was exhorted to not forget the miracles of God. And they begin to head that direction. We'll take a look at uh, some of the incidents that happened as they left Egypt and why they ended up in the wilderness for about 40 years. But my hope is, through this Bible study, we'll remember God's goodness. We won't repeat their mistakes. And that we'll learn to trust the word of God like Moses did, like Joshua and Caleb did. That we'll have that same heart of knowing uh, the words that proceed from the mouth of God are trustworthy. These are truly faithful and true. So with that, let's take a look at the first 10 verses here in chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy together. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, verse 6, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, Then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. We'll pause there. Now, in both the Old and the New Testament, anytime we see this word test, uh, it's talking about uh, being proven by trial. 
And when God tests his children, the purpose is that our faith would be revealed. It's been said before that Christians are a lot like tea bags. You don't know what they're made of until you put them in hot water, right? Then, then you find out what kind of faith they have in the Lord. And, and so God's purpose is to prove that our faith is real. It's not that God doesn't know. He knows all things. He's revealing it to ourselves. He's helping us understand where we're at. And then hopefully encouraging us too that knowing no trial is going to overcome our faith. It is important that I mention this, that God does not tempt us. Okay? He will test us, but he does not tempt us. James 1.12 talks about this. It's our own sinful desires that draw us away from the Lord. And the Bible does give examples of God testing. He did that with Abraham when he asked him to go to the top of Mount Moriah to offer his son Isaac. It was a test. He also told him, um, his, uh, Abraham told his servants, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, first time that word's used, and we will return. Abraham had faith that somehow God was going to fulfill his promise that through Isaac, the blessings would come, the Messiah would come. And it says in the book of Hebrews, he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. That somehow God was going to keep his promise. Well, he passed that test. Later on, on the same mountain range, Jesus would give his life for us. And so we see that God, God does do, do this testing. And we see God allowed the Hebrews to go hungry, knew that they would call out to him for help, and God fed them. And it also says that he let their clothing and shoes not wear out. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty awesome. If you've got kids, <laughs> you know, clothing goes quick. For like 40 years, you could have the same jeans. That's awesome, right? As guys, we're good with that, right? A couple pairs of jeans, we're good, right? Um, shoes that you don't have to replace, that's awesome. You know, that'd be great. So there were miracles that God was providing for his people, right? He provided manna, and we'll get into that a little bit further on. But he's doing a valuable thing. God's drawing us closer to himself as we go through those times of testing in our life. And, and he, we see that God said this, testing Israel was done so they might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If that sounds familiar, it should, because Jesus actually quoted this in the New Testament. And when he was led away by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and he was fasting and, and praying, the devil came probably near the end of that when he's hungry and said, hey, Jesus, if you're hungry, tell these stones, you know, turn them into bread. Uh, and he quoted scripture. In case you didn't know, the devil knows the Bible too. It's important for us to know it and correctly apply it. So Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he combated the enemy with scripture. And so God humbled the Israelites, letting them go hungry. He fed them manna. They'd have to depend on him for daily provision. And again, the Hebrew word manna literally means, what is it? This white kind of coriander seed looking thing was on the ground in the morning. It came down with the dew and they were like, what is it? Let's just call it what is it. And so that's what it's called. It's called what is it? It's like the wonder bread, right? You wonder what it is. 
And so God provided for them. And so fascinating that it was a daily provision. If they hoarded that and tried to keep that for the next day, it would spoil and go bad. They couldn't eat that. Every day they had to depend upon the Lord. It reminds me that Jesus is our daily bread. Right? We need that fresh uh, interaction with him every day, that fresh dependence upon him every day. And so through this wilderness, God tested the people, and the people began to understand that their survival depended not on the gifts that God provided alone, or the bread or manna, but every word that came from the mouth of God. And that's how they survived, by listening to the Lord. And it's, again, it's important we know the word. I believe it's even more important we know how to correctly apply the word, right? Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, they failed the test, right? The devil came and said, well, did God really say? They could have quoted exactly what God said. God said we're not to do that in the story. That didn't happen. But we see Jesus passed the test when the devil came in, and he overcame that. And there were many other opportunity times the devil came to tempt Jesus, whether it was through the interruptions that happened in daily life, whether it was from the religious leaders and the persecution that happened and their jealousy of him, and, or whether it be from the politicians that didn't like that some preacher was getting popular in their area and people were coming and weren't paying taxes, and so, uh, or whether it be betrayal from friends, right? Jesus had to deal with that too those closest to him would betray him. And so all these tests Jesus passed, and I'm not sure we would pass all of those tests, but testing can come in many different ways. and It can come through uh, a lot of different ways to test our faith. Uh, it may be severe afflictions that Satan did, like what Job faced. Could be daily irritations from sandpaper people, I call them, that rub us the wrong way. And you're like, okay, Lord, uh, you tell me to love people and love you. I need some extra help here with this person. <laughs> and, and maybe uh, if you're younger, you've got a sibling that isn't always easy to get along with. Um, ask God to help you because that's God's desires that you would love one another. And God can give us that love. We can't do it on our own. And so we see that whatever test we're going through, it's really under our benefit. God's showing where our heart is in the matter. He's showing if we're humble to ask for his help or not. And uh, I find that no matter what the test we face, whether it's the common cold and we're feeling sick or something severe we're facing in life, we stop and say, Lord, I'm not in control. I'm frail. You're the boss. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to trust you. And, and we realize that we can turn to God and have him help us in those times of testing, it really corrects our mind and our heart, gets us back looking towards him. Well, next we'll take a look at verse 11 through 20, and we'll see that uh, God warned Israel against forgetting him. And we'll see why will they forget him? And we'll see that here as we pick up in, uh, excuse me, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses, and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up, 
and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you, to do you good in the end. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which you swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. We'll pause there. Moses knew that if the people were not careful, they would begin to forget the goodness of the Lord. They could begin to forget the 40 years of God providing these miracles for them in the wilderness. God gave them food to eat, clothing to wear, and now in their comfortable, freed state, they could begin to forget that God had done this and that God brought them into the land called uh, this land flowing with milk and honey. Not that there was literal milk and honey flowing in the land. It's a, a metaphor, if you will, that the land was great. It was able to have cows that could produce milk and goats, and, and it was fertile enough that the insects would be there, the bees would be making honey, that God would provide for his people, there'd be luxury, that it would be a great place for his people to dwell in and live. And so the people in their mind could dismiss God's miraculous parting of the Red Sea, walking across on dry land, watching the Egyptian army be destroyed, or the plagues that happened in Egypt with Pharaoh and how God showed them who was boss, right? Who really is the ultimate king of the land? Or maybe the daily supply of manna in the desert when there was no food. And then the people cried out, we're tired of this bread. We want meat. And God said, all right, I'm going to give you meat. Not just one day, not two days, not three days, not four days, not five days, a whole month. And it's going to be so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils. You're going to be, you know what? I'm not asking for meat anymore. I'm just going to trust what the Lord gives me. And so they were thirsty. They cried out. And God brought water forth from a rock. I mean, you try that. That's, that's pretty miraculous. Uh, and then later on, he asked Moses to speak to a rock, uh, which is incredible as well. And then God's presence was with them, right? It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by fire by night. They had a visual representation of God's presence with them. I mean, that's miraculous. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty cool. Like, yeah, my car is right there. There's a pillar of cloud right there. I know God's with me, and we're going to go this way, and I'm going to follow him. And uh, that's what they were experiencing, right? God was visibly among them, and they could see that. But as they went to the land, as time went by, they could fade from the memory of God's goodness and his provision, his protection for them. And it says they could become self-satisfied in a sense and think they've achieved all the success on their own. Well, that's because of my power and my mighty hands. Of course, 
This is all because of the result of my work. And Moses cautioned against that. If Israel neglected the lessons learned in the wilderness, they failed to depend entirely on God, they abandoned the worship of him, they neglected his word, disaster would come. And they would be obliterate those blessings that God had for them in remembering him. So this is the beware lesson they were given. Beware lest you forget the goodness of God. I was thinking about that. I thought, but what about us? Aren't we just like the ancient Israelites in a sense? Do we ever forget what God's done for us? When things are going well, do we dismiss the truths we've learned in the past? Well, this is because I'm doing a great job. Of course, I deserve this. Or maybe we forget how we clung to God through trials and heartaches and depended upon him and thought, I'm broken. Where else do I turn? Well, now I don't need to turn to the Lord. I can turn to this or turn to that, and I'm okay. And we realize we're utterly dependent on him for every breath. Or do we forget the miracles that God's done for us? And, and, and not remember how he's taking care of us. Uh, there are times that we can be forgetful. There's a time I remember my wife Anna and I, we were in California and we were uh, following Dave Ramsey's plan and I was gazelle intense. She's kind of the free spirit, I'm kind of the, the nerd in the relationship. And so I'm like, we're gonna budget, we're gonna do this and this, and this as much as for food and we don't have anything else allocated and we're paying off all this debt. And, and so it's near the end of the month, and we're like, okay, we're going to make it. We're, we're going to be okay. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's a couple extra days in this month. I didn't think about that, and there's no food in the fridge. Um, I don't know what to do. So Anna comes home, and she's like, so what are we doing for supper? And I'm like, I don't know. There's nothing left in the fridge, in the freezer, and there's a couple cans of, like, tomato soup, but that's, that's about it. And so... I said, let's just pray. And so it seemed like probably to a lot of people something silly. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and, and then somebody knocked at the door. I'm like, who's interrupting our prayer time? Come on. So I go to the door and it's some stranger. I have no clue who this person is. Never seen this person. And he's like, um... I know you don't know me, but I'm watching a house for my friend a couple houses over, and uh, he's got this deep freezer in his garage, and it just went out, and he's got all this fish in there, and uh, I'm just going to give it away so it doesn't spoil, and then it makes it, you know, even worse. So would you like some fish? And we're like, sure. <laughs> and he's like, well, how much? I'm like, well, let's go look. And so Went and grabbed some fish, and we had fish for dinner. And, and so it was just a reminder to me of seeking the Lord. I don't know how he's going to answer the prayer, but he says that if we're in need, we can ask, and he'll provide. I remember sharing that story with my mother-in-law. She's like, well, why didn't you call? You could have come over. We would have made you something. I said, God worked. It worked out, you know. There was the backup of tomato soup if we really had to go that way, but... Um, God provided. And, uh, and it was God's way to remind me to never forget he's my daily bread. Right? I need to pray and seek him and ask him to provide for me. And by the way, the fish was excellent, so that was good. 
Um, but we see the warning for Israel is the same for us today. Do not forget the Lord. Let these words challenge us to always delight in remembering what God has done for us in the past so we don't forget that he's with us in the present. We can see he's got a great track record of taking care of us. He's going to get us through whatever we're facing. We don't have to panic and worry about it. He's going to be there with us, helping us. And so my hope is that we would see that we can honor and obey the word of the Lord, not take those daily blessings for granted. And that we constantly remember that our success depends solely upon the Lord's power and grace in our lives. Right? Again, we're breathing today because God lets us breathe. My heart's beating today because he wants it to beat. I can't control that. He does. So anything that I do is really a result of the power and the goodness of God. Well, next we'll move into chapter 9, and we'll talk a little bit about being legalistic and God warning them against that, that self-righteousness. And we'll see that here in the first six verses in chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities and fortified up to heaven. Oh, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Akim, who you know and whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them up before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. We'll pause there. Stiff-necked is a way uh, that they would have understood this when they were trying to get an animal to go in a certain direction. Uh, that They would say the animal is stiff-necked. It was stubborn. Later on in the New Testament, uh, the word that's very similar to this is where um, Jesus is talking to Saul, who later became Paul, and, and says it's hard to kick against the goads. And so they had these prawns on the back of, of the animals where if they were stubborn and I'm not going, I'm not going to listen to you, they would actually injure themselves, right? And so God's in essence saying, you guys are stubborn. You're not wanting to listen. We're going to go this way. And they're like, I'm going the other way, right? Kind of like Jonah. He was told to go to Nineveh. And he's like, give me that one-way ticket the other direction. I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to go to the furthest way I can. So God's reminding them if they'd listen, he would take down the giants of the land. And they were not to think that it was due to their strength, their power, or in this essence, their righteousness, which can be defined as a right standing. 
And a right standing could be between God. It could also be a right standing between us and other people. And in this sense, we need to know that no amount of man-made effort will ever result in righteousness before God. To be righteous before God, we have to do that His way to be right with Him. But man has a common substitute for righteousness. It's called self-righteousness. And that, well, I know what I can do all my own to be right with God. And, and that's what the people were thinking. right? It's the opposite of what God desires. Self-righteousness makes a list of rules and checks them off, congratulating itself on how well it's done compared to other people. Um, and the Pharisees of Jesus' day were masters of self-righteousness. Uh, they were legalistic in that they kept a legal list of do's and don'ts. And they're like, well, I tie the mint, I tie this, I do that, I wash my hands, I do that. And, and God's saying, yeah, well, where's your heart? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire that you have a heart that wants to actually seek me and be a light to others. And so they were self-righteous. And Jesus even had this lawyer come. And the lawyer said, I've kept all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, since my youth. And Jesus could have called him out and said, that's not true, you're lying. But he does something else. He says, hmm, interesting. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And the scripture says the man went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Because his stuff, his money, was his idol. Right? He, he wasn't really worshiping God from the heart. He was worshiping the stuff. He was obsessed with the blessings that he had in life. Instead of using that to help others, he was kind of hoarding it, very much like Zacchaeus was until he had a face-to-face -face conversation with God. So we see that Jesus reminds us that he wants us to be righteous his way, not self-righteous. And, uh, and you can be prideful and blinded by your sin. When we spend time in the Word of God, we become more aware of our sin and our shortcomings. I have found that sin will keep us from God's Word, from wanting to read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, it'll help keep us from sin. We'll learn the mistakes to avoid, and we'll have a heart that wants to please the Lord. So pursuing righteousness with God begins with that humble heart. God warned Israel against being self-righteous and legalistic. God warns us from being prideful. In the New Testament, we're told, take heed lest ye fall. It can happen to us if we're not careful. We think, well, you know, compared to so-and-so, I'm doing pretty good. But try measuring yourself to God, to Jesus, and you're like, well, I'm way down there. <laughs> okay, I got a lot of ways to go. And so we're to have a humble, believing heart, be a witness to others of God's love and of his truth. Have a heart that seeks the Lord. Well, next we'll see God warns the people against stubbornness and, and how that leads um, to a life of sin. We'll see that here in verse 7 and we'll go all the way through verse 21. He says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You've been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. So the Lord was angry enough 
with you to have you destroyed. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. The Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of fire in the day of the assembly. It came to pass at the end of the 40 days and nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, tablets of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. And they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people. Indeed, they are stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. I'll make you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and I came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them from before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at first, 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all of your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure of which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. We'll pause there. The story of the golden calf is found in Exodus chapter 32. You can do your homework and go read it if you're not familiar with it. Uh, it takes place after God led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and is trying to establish his covenant with this people. And um, Moses is up on the mountain receiving God's law, the Ten Commandments. He's up there for 40 days, 40 nights. And, uh, and the people begin to get anxious. They're waiting for Moses to return and they're thinking, well, maybe he died. Maybe he left us and we're here by ourselves. So the people then look to Aaron, Moses' brother, and says, make us gods to follow. Make us a visible representation of a God that we can see and serve and, and worship. So they used their gold earrings they had plundered from Egypt, and they melted it down to make this golden cow, this golden idol. And Aaron, it's interesting, he says, I just threw the gold into the fire, and this golden cow popped out. I told that story to my kids, and they said, no way. He's lying. That doesn't just happen. And they're like, I could come up with a better story than that. Come on. You know, you just take the gold and throw it in and then, I don't know how it happened. It just came out like that. Really? And so they made this golden calf or this golden cow and it was not a holy cow, right? It was just this idol that they had made with their hands. And they engage in these pagan rituals to worship this false god and so Moses comes, as he's older, he's coming back down the mountain as quick as he can. 
and he sees what's going on, and, and God had written down these commandments. There's a few times where it says the finger of God in Scripture. This is one of them. There's another one where uh, Daniel saw the finger of God writing on the, the wall, right, the writing on the wall, and then in the New Testament, where the finger of God, Jesus is writing in the ground. And so we see this is one of those points. This is God giving them his commands. And Moses sees what's going on, and he throws down the Ten Commandments. We've joked, uh, it's the only time Moses broke all Ten Commandments at once, right? <laughs> so he broke those commandments, and he had to go back up the mountain, get a new set of tablets. And he interceded for the people, even interceded for Aaron, because he was going to be destroyed. As I was thinking about this, it reminds me, there's experiences or lessons for us today. Even though we can justify our actions through reason or logic, such as they did, if we are violating God's clear commands, we're sinning against him. If God says, don't do this, and we do it, we're sinning. If he says, hey, do this, and we don't do it, we're sinning. And he's going to hold us accountable for those sins. That's why we need Christ, right? We need him in our lives and, and make sure our sins are placed upon him when he was on the cross. And there's no way we can ever represent the holiness and the awesomeness of God through something we make with our hands. It always falls short. And on top of this, God is a spirit. We're told to worship him in spirit and truth. And so the way that we can do that is through believing his word obeying his word and then declaring his word to others around us. Well, next in this last section, we'll see God reminds Israel that if they are disobedient against him in, the, in this promised land, there's going to be consequences. And so we'll take a look at that in this last section together in verse 22 through the end of the chapter, verse 29. Also at Tabera and Massa and Kiroth Havatapha, you provoke the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You did not believe him nor obey his voice. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day I, that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look upon the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. We see Moses begins to remind the people of kind of their failures, their track record, that they opposed God, and he mentions a few different places. One of those places was where um, they were bitten by fiery serpents. We see later there were scorpions as well. Um, and then 
They say, well, God's led us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness. There's no water. And God provides water, and, and that place, Massa, is where they're testing God. And then they did the same at this other place. They rebelled and said, we need meat. And again, God provided quail. And uh, they had enough meat to eat for a month. And then likewise, they rebelled at Kadesh Barnea. They refused to go into the promised land because it said, there's giants in the land. We can't go in. And so all these events were marked by unbelief, grumbling, and disobedience. There were 12 men that left Kadesh Barnea to go into the land to scout it out. And they were to come back and bring a report of the land. And they did that. But then 10 of them said, we can't go in. There's giants. We're going to get wiped out. We can't do it. It's not going to work. And there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that stood up and said, God's bigger. If he wants us to go in, he'll provide a way for us to go in. He can take care of giants. He's a big God. He can handle them. Right? And they should have remembered, hey, God just took care of the Egyptian army. What's this to him? Right? He can handle all this stuff. And so we see that they begin to doubt the Lord. And so these ten scouts, they fail to exhort the people to trust God. And sadly, Israel failed to believe God. They would wander in that wilderness another 38 years. It was only Moses and Joshua and Caleb that exhorted the people to trust God, to seek Him, to, to know that every word that comes from, the, from God is trustworthy and faithful. So we see Moses went flat on his face, he interceded for Israel. That's described in Exodus 32. Moses asked God for mercy because Israel was God's people. And you kind of see this interesting exchange where God's like, hey, they're your people. And Moses is like, no, they're your people. It's almost like neither one really kind of wanted them in this conversation. Moses is like, no, 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 they're your people. And so we see that he's reminding them that as he intercedes for them. And so Moses is asking God to to remember the promises he made that he would lead the people into the promised land. And I think we too can seek the mercy and the power of God through prayer and by praying with the same heart that Moses had. Not that we have to get on our face and prostrated on the floor. It's not the position, but it's the position of our heart, right? That's what God's looking for. Do we truly mean what we're saying to him? Are we pleading with the same reasons before the Lord? That Lord, you love these people. You're not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. Please save this person. Please rescue this person. Please spare their life that they may come to know you. That's the heart that we see Moses had, and I think that's the heart that Jesus wants us to have as well. So in closing, may we not follow the unbelief of those who do not trust God and his promises. When times of testing come, May we display the faith that Joshua and Caleb had by trusting in the Lord. May we thank God for his goodness. Be mindful that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift that we enjoy. And may we not forget the miracles of God, such as being born again through what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word as we were able to study these two chapters together this morning. Help us, Lord, not to make the same mistakes that Israel made. 
Help us, Lord, to be quick to listen to your word, to trust and obey. Help us to remember the things you've done. Help us to remember your word. Help us to obey you, Lord, from the heart, not legally from a list, but from the heart, because we love you. And Lord, for those of us who are parents the same way we desire our children to want to obey us, may it not be because we want good behavior instead of bad behavior, but Lord, because we want them to trust us, that we know what's best for them. Lord, help us to have the same heart towards you, to know that we can trust you because you know what's best for us. Help us to love you, to heed your word. And Father, we pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not made that decision to surrender their life to you, we ask God that today would be that day of salvation, that they would turn their life over to you, that they realize, God, that you love them, that Jesus, you came to this earth to rescue them, that you lived a perfect, sinless life, and that you willingly went to the cross to die for their sins and for mine, and that you were buried in that tomb and you rose from the dead, and you want to forgive them of their sin, give them everlasting life so they can be in heaven with you forever. And if that's you this morning, say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me. I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die. I want to make sure that my sins are forgiven. I want to make sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I simply want to lead you in a prayer where you make that decision. And if you're ready to do that, I'm going to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe, God, that you love me, that Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried and rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. Put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being my savior, my Lord, and my friend. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus or maybe a rededication, let me know. I'd love to encourage you, pray with you, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Mulder of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries. Check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
lie to you, I can shout.